and welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with the A.B. Corcor Foundation for Mental Health. I'm Terry, the creator and co-host of this podcast. I've lived with depression most of my life, and I know how easy it can be to feel all alone in the experience. I'm not alone, and you aren't either. And I'm Dr. Anita Sands, a licensed clinical psychologist with a number of my own diagnoses, all of which bring a certain amount of anxiety and depression along with them. There is great power in shared experiences. We share our own as we engage in intimate and candid conversations with our weekly guests, exploring different perspectives on and experiences with depression. We keep it real because depression is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. Hello, Anita. Hi, Terry. You know, a Psychology Today article entitled Watching the News Can Be Traumatizing could easily have been written today as it was in 2020 when it was published. Its author, Danielle Render Termod, wrote, In the current age of technology, we can find ourselves flooded by stories of tragedy and violence. We can easily find our daily lives unexpectedly inundated with graphic depictions of trauma and violent events. A concept that may be misunderstood or not even known by a lot of people involves the vulnerability of the human brain to be negatively impacted by traumatic events, even if we haven't personally experienced them. And this concept is called vicarious traumatization or secondary traumatization. Vicarious traumatization has given us an understanding that witnessing traumatic events or even just having knowledge of those events can have negative consequences on our mental health. Even just having knowledge of the events, that's Mm -hmm. fascinating. And, you know, we think of that as affecting first responders and other professionals who are routinely exposed to trauma. Like, they're the ones who experience this. But as the article continues... Research is now discovering that there may be a link to traumatic stress, distress, and the witnessing of traumatic events in the news. More specifically, research is finding that the bombardment of traumatic materials in the media can lead observers to experience anxiety, difficulties in coping, immense fear, and feelings of helplessness, and in some cases, even PTSD. An important aspect to note on this issue is that no one is immune to the potential of experiencing distress after watching media coverage of trauma, especially if images and video are involved. Mm -hmm. We're hearing from listeners, our community members, people at recent public mental health events, and from therapists who have clients with personal connections to tragic events unfolding before our eyes. So we went into our archives to find an episode with one of our former board members, Dr. Robert Duff, or Duff the Psych as he's known, to talk about how we can stay informed about world events and protect our mental health. So here now is Duff the Psych giving his voice to depression. For anybody, you know, if you're starting your day and you're in a neutral or good mood and the first thing that you see is something that's completely tragic or very, very intense, it's obviously going to change things. Um, I think that 
it's okay to have a sense of personal responsibility that you need to know what is going on in the world. You need to be aware of things. Um, but one of the sort of key skills I think that this, you know, these current generations that we're in need to master is, is how to regulate news input, how to use it in a way that's, that's constructive for them rather than just passively letting everything come to you because it can be, uh, you know, like at the, the light end, throwing a wrench in your day, and on the more severe end, really, really contributing to things like agoraphobia or PTSD or just a sense of hopelessness about the world. Agoraphobia, by the way, as defined by Mayo Clinic, is a type of anxiety disorder in which you fear and avoid places or situations that might cause you to panic or make you feel trapped, helpless, or embarrassed. So if starting the day with tragic news can impact it, we asked Duff if watching those same images before bed can negatively affect our sleep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I'm a big fan of not having my phone in the bedroom at all and kind of unplugging from the world for, you know, at least 30 minutes before going to bed because, yeah, you basically take whatever you're thinking about, whatever's going on in the world straight with you into bed, which is not always very productive. Um, but, you know, I, I think there needs to be a balance again, you know, finding those times where you want to keep those sacred, you're not necessarily allowing the world to come in and intrude in, in your sleep or, you know, your productivity for the day, but also making a point to make sure that you are informed, you know, you kind of are doing your part. And so you don't feel necessarily guilty or, or left out uh, when you don't know what's going on. The difference between, as you said, reading or hearing something on the radio as opposed to the images, how effective a line is that to draw? Practicing a little bit of self-awareness, you know, kind of uh, acknowledging the way that different content affects you is going to be important. Uh, certainly reading something on, you know, in a newspaper or on a, on a blog in just text form is potentially going to be less intense than hearing something happening or seeing something happening. But at the same time, you know, acknowledge how these different things hit you. Um, are you in a mental space where it's going to really, really, really mess you up to see something that might be, you know, a little bit horrific or tragic? Or is that something that you sort of have the, the bandwidth to handle right now and making a choice based on that? Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking to myself that I, I can't watch it this time. I'm just saying I can't see those images. I don't. And it's not that I'm hiding from reality, but yeah. I don't see any benefit to me to having those images because I don't know. I, I wonder sometimes if people with depression or maybe other things too are more empathetic and I feel it and it hurts me. Oh, I think a hundred percent. I think that um, people, a lot of people with mental illness are more empathetic or at least feel more, more strongly in general, you know, there's stronger reactions in whatever way. And I think that what you're talking about is part of that self-awareness that I, that I talked about. It's not like you don't know what happened. You know, it's not like you don't know what's going on. It's not like you don't know what those implications are for sort of your worldview, your political view, your view of, of, of everything. So you know that stuff. What you're saying is that um, you don't have sort of the emotional real estate to expose yourself to the imagery of that. Dr. Graham Davey, who specializes in the psychological effects of media violence, is quoted in an article we'll link to at this episode as saying, viewing negative news, especially broadcasts that emphasize suffering and the emotional components of the story, 
means you're more likely to see your own personal worries as more threatening and severe, and that when you do start worrying about them, you're more likely to find your worry difficult to control and more distressing than it would normally be. We do a lot of emotional reasoning um, as humans where because we feel a certain way, we assume it to be true. And the way that interacts with um, often anxiety is that when we feel uh, physically tense, when we feel physical symptoms of anxiety, that prompts us to interpret what's going on around us as more threatening because it sort of matches up. You know, we, we see something happen. We're already feeling sensations that, that indicate fear. So we assume that that thing should be generating fear, that there is some sort of threat or danger there. So, you know, watching things on the news that generate those feelings for you could certainly do that. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily going to make a a, a massive, massive difference, um, but that is certainly a personal thing. And we can't pretend that threat or danger isn't very real, especially for certain people in certain places. But there's still a line between living with caution and living in fear. It shouldn't stop you from living your life. You know, there's a risk to everything. And living life isn't about uh, denying that risk. It's about acknowledging it and kind of making a decision to live, you know, in the context of that. But I think that appropriate caution is part of that. The second source we'll link to is a research paper on the mental and emotional health of children exposed to acts of terrorism in the media. It concludes that even after the events are off the news, the horrifying images and memories are pervasive and do not heal easily. There are some kids that certainly are very sensitive to this sort of thing, will very much take it to heart. They can certainly show reactions to it and changes in their behavior. But um, making the assumption that this is something that's instantly going to traumatize your kid, I think is also a mistake, you know, so talking with them about it and, and processing it, you know, in a way that, that, that they can understand and returning to the matter, you know, um, because they're going to have questions, you know, um, they're going to see a picture of a, of a bulletproof backpack on the news and they're going to say, do I need that? And that's a prompt to have a conversation about it, you know, and it's unfortunate, but it's also um, where we are right now. And those discussions, those sensitive and nothing any of us want to have, can offer a bit of reassurance. The statistics are still on your side. It's it's very unlikely for any given person that that this is going to happen to them, you know. And so talking with them about the fact that, you know, um, there there are some people in the world who, who do, you know, cause harm to others. It's something that we need to be careful of, but we don't need to be worried about all the time. It makes me sad to think that we are being conditioned to be on guard at a street festival or in a Walmart or, you know, at a sporting event or whatever. It seems like it would be very hard to be mentally healthy and feel safe and secure when you are on at least code orange alert. It is. (laughs) Yeah. hundred percent. You know, I mean, uh, it's, uh, I think that right now we need to keep in mind, you know, we meaning like mental health professionals need to keep in mind that the state of the world, uh, certainly the state in the United, the United States uh, is such that we, we need to interpret people's anxiety a little bit differently. You know, um, I, I kind of don't blame people sometimes for being more agoraphobic, being more cautious about going out and things like that, because, you know, there are, uh, things that are somewhat preventable that are happening here that are not happening other places and have not happened at different times. So that, that should change the way that you view the world. And for both kids and adults, Duff says it's easy to feel helpless with the kind of news we're being bombarded with. 
and that channeling those feelings into positive actions can be helpful. Being active is better than being passive in general, right? If you just sit back, let this hit you, um, you know, let it hurt and then leave it at that, that's going to be less productive than even something active would just be talking about it. So rather than spending all that time replaying images or kind of doing that self-flagellation thing I was talking about, maybe spend that time having a conversation with someone about it, exploring what your feelings are about it, talking about whether there's anything that, that can be done and, and, and actually sort of actively processing it rather than just letting it hit you over and over again. Um, and then, of course, certainly things like volunteering, writing letters, you know, um, uh, trying to, you know, maybe educate somebody if you, have a, if you have a point of view that you think someone needs educating on, whatever the case may be, that's helpful as well in terms of sort of starting to alleviate that, that sense of helplessness. It's not going to change what happened. It's not going to change all this other stuff, you know, in, in the broad sense, but at least it's doing something and maybe it's working toward a piece of that. So Terry, this is a topic that's near and dear to me. As therapists, we get training in how to manage vicarious traumatization because we listen to stories of trauma, you know, mm -hmm. um, all day long as our clients are telling us things that they um, are experiencing or have experienced. So I know how important it is that we take care of ourselves and that we figure out how to balance the heaviness of some of the things that are going on around us or that we may hear about or, or see or get knowledge of with the things that will help us to manage that, which is I sometimes will call the fluff, but it's really not, it's not fluff. It's, it's just the, the lightness, the things that will help to balance the heaviness. Um, so one of the things that I've had to do for years and years and years, probably close to decades now, if I think about it, is I really have to protect how I get information in the world. So I get a written daily email digest of the news that has yeah. links if I want to know more, if I want to hear more, if I want to see images or videos, but I can get a sense of what's going on without being bombarded by those things that would be really tough for my brain as a highly sensitive person to filter out and not use uh, uh, as, as fodder for, you know, fear, anxiety, worry, nightmares, those kinds of things. So, that's one of the things that I recommend that people do is alter the way that you get news, if possible. Not, not everybody can can shield themselves from, you know, seeing those images, but it's it's something that actually creates less wear and tear on the nervous system, if you can do that. Mm -hmm. And I highly recommend that. There are times I think, like, is part of my understanding the situation, and I like gulp as I say those words, is do I need to see it so that I understand it? But I know how my body works. I know how my mind works. I know how my heart works. I know how my sleep doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, I know back in the 80s when this was first really starting to be talked about, at least in the field of psychology, um, it was Charles Fagley who said vicarious traumatization it is the cost of caring. That if if we are again, caring, kind, sensitive people that hearing about, you know, something traumatic um, or, or seeing that is going to have an impact on it. There is a cost. And so just remembering 
that just like in a, in a bank account, you've got to make sure that, you know, what you're willing to spend doesn't deplete your resources until, you know, you're in the red. And I think emotionally, we need to think about that too. I want to be, you know, as a, both a, a, a person in my, in my life, my family, my community, and also as a therapist capable of continuing to care. And if I'm being uh, vicariously traumatized, especially by events in the media that I have no control over, I could get myself into a place where I could become desensitized, which is maybe one way of being able to manage it, but to become desensitized reduces my ability to stay a caring person. And I don't want that cost. That's, that's too much of a cost for me. Um, one area that we have control is the the degree to which we go down the hole at the information hole and to know what happened to to know how the community is reacting how we're reacting how we can protect ourselves and our families mm-hmm. all that is is really important and being informed is important but when you or and when you keep going when you keep watching more videos when you keep diving and when you're reading all the comments and all the nasty things that people write online these days mm-hmm. that's where i think you're contribute i shouldn't say your we can contribute to our own i'll use the word that we're using here traumatization right well again i'm not sure i'm not sure the human brain was designed for us to be able to even mm-hmm. manage all of this because i do know that traumas and tragedies and wars have been unfolding of course since you know humans have been on the planet but we would not have been front and center to witness those things much less repeatedly on loops yeah. you know um on with those images in front of us so even if we witnessed a trauma we would go away from it and manage it but not be re-exposed mm-hmm. over and over again so again you know technology and the media has done wonderful things but I'm not sure our nervous systems were really built to manage trauma in the way that we're now exposed. Like you said, we're, it's just a continuous thing. Mm-hmm. So limiting it, know what your limit should be, how far down you should, you should go in terms of, of, of seeing or trying to understand certain things. I think it's important for our mental health. truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate and reflect on your own experience with depression, or better understand how to support someone else who is struggling. If this episode has been of comfort or value to you, know that there are hundreds of others like it in our archive, which you can easily find at our website, givingvoicetodepression.com. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up, even if it's hard. If someone else is struggling, take the time to listen.